Good morning, church. We started this series, Holy Living in the Midst of Suffering, back in July. And now I'm not going to preach the context or the doctrine, okay, maybe a little, um, of all of First Peter as an overview. Um, I'm not going to bridge to First John that I thought I would when I started this. Um, I want to review what God has told us to do and told us to be. How do we live holy lives? What is the midst that we're in? How do we respond to hard things? I am going to split up this message in three ways. Things we are to be like, things we are to do, and things we are to stop doing. Now, I know that some of you um, see colors, and so the slides have colors to kind of cue you as to what the topic is. But for those of us normal people, there are words at the top, so you don't have to worry about what color the thing is. But uh, my, uh, my slide repairman went to Barakel, so... Uh, uh, I couldn't make any changes after he left. So starting in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ. Obedient. That's what you were elected for. You were set apart from sin. And we'll talk more about that as, as Peter does. Moving to verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our faith is tested to show us that our faith is genuine, to show those around us that our faith is genuine, to bring glory and honor to God. Testing doesn't produce faith. It shows it. Quiz question. What produces faith? Well, testing shows our faith. How, is, how do we get faith? Hearing. Hearing what? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. Remember? Romans 10, 17. The next verse, verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. The outcome of that faith that is shown by the testing is our salvation. For, for that, how does that make you feel? This verse says that we have an inexpressible joy and glory. Would anybody around you 
describe your life or mine as one of joy and glory. Now, if you notice on your notes, that's the first question. I'm just going to give you a moment to check that one, yes or no. Would anyone describe your life as one of joy and glory? Going to verse 12, it says, It was revealed to them, we'd have to go to 10 to see who the them is, the prophets, It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. They knew there was a Redeemer coming. They had no idea when. Isaiah would have had to wait 800 years to see the Redeemer. He served not himself, but us. Who do you serve? Where do we focus our time, our money, our attention, our affections? Who do you think about when you make decisions? Just me, myself, and I? That's three. That's enough, isn't it? Do you consider the people who aren't in your family, who aren't in your church, who aren't in your generation, who aren't, who don't agree with anything you do? There's an expression, live with a view of eternity. And we'll see that over and over. Do you think about the impact that your life can have if you let God use you. Verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Preparing your minds. I think, boy, we got to clear the decks. Get out all the, sweep out all the cobwebs. We got to get ready. Get focused. Sober-minded speaks of being steadfast and self-controlled, clear of mind, morally decisive. And those things aren't things that we achieve, get to a level, say, yep, I checked that box. These have I-N-G on the ends of them. Preparing, being. We got to keep doing it. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. I know this could be a stop doing things slide, but we're going to stay on the positive for a moment. Obedient children, what do they do? Well, you can't use the word that's in the obedient. What do, what do obedient children do? What they're told to do. That's what obey means, right? Do what you're told. Uh, 
So what they are told. Now, obedient children do and learn to make a habit of doing good things because that's what good parents tell them to do, right? And they learn not to do bad things because, again, that's what good parents tell them. They grow and they mature in knowledge and in favor with God and men. I borrowed a a phrase from Luke 2. Because in uh, verse 15, it says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So who are we modeling? Who are we? Who are we taking after? Who are we following the example of? As Jesus acted. 1 Peter 2.22 says he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Pastor John told us back in July, and you know I don't remember this, I went back and watched the message. This verse could be our key verse of the whole book. Be holy. I asked a couple people last week what the series, what, what First Peter was about. And one person said, suffering. And I thought, hmm, did they forget the holy part? Um, I asked another person and they said, holiness in the midst of suffering. They must have been reading the, the headline every week. No, um, we, we want to make sure that we get the message. This is about holiness. It's a, it's a heavy requirement. Verse 17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Now I have written, be like someone who believes God hates sins. That's easy for us. We always hate people's sins. Well, at least other people's. Yours as much as the next guy's. Sin separated us from God. Christ redeemed us. He paid for our sins with his blood and broke us free from the chains that enslaved us. Why do I, why do we keep wrapping ourselves back up in those chains? So we go to verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Again, we have this ing uh, having purified. This is a this is not a one and done. Love one another. Love earnestly. This is a love of choice. This is a love that can respond to an order or command. It's not a oh I can't love. I don't have it in me. It stretches you to your limits. 
It meets people at their point of need. This may be way, way past your comfort zone. Please write down the name of someone God is telling you to show love to. I have a feeling that this is somebody that he's already been telling you. And, uh, but I'll give you just a moment. Is God telling you to show love to? I'm going to be shocked if he hasn't been nudging you. He's been nudging me, and I've been resisting. I've talked to a couple of you, kind of accountability, and showing love within my comfort zone, but convicted about showing love beyond it. I've got a name on my paper. And now you all know. Chapter 2, verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Malice. This, ver this word is found 11 times in the New Testament. It's a general Greek word for uh, evil. Think of wickedness that comes from within. What bad things come out of our... Wh what is sin? Things we think, speak, or do, behave, um, comes out of our mouth, our mind, our actions, anger, lust, fighting. What are these? Put them away. Stop doing them. Deceit. Who are you trying to fool? Hypocrisy. What are you faking? Pretending to Love people when you're only loving them to your comfort zone. Worship, just going through the motions. Holiness, well, I look better than the next guy. Must be doing okay. Maturity, well, I mean, how much can a person mature? I mean, I'm old. What do you expect? I think you have a question there to answer. What's your hypocrisy? Stop being envious. Are you content with what God has given you? Or are you jealous of what he's given others? Slander. Why do we tear other people down? Make ourselves look better or feel better? Do we correct other people because they're really wrong or maybe because we just don't like them or maybe because we want our own way? Stop 
doing those things. Verse 2, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. The purpose is to grow up. I don't think that babies are aware of that, the purpose. Their purpose is to stop feeling hungry. But we're told we're supposed to desire the pure spiritual milk so that we can grow up. I know some, some adult Christians who have no interest in growing up. Growing up requires change, and they want to stay just like they are. I've heard cantankerous old men say, that's just the way I am. I've heard grown-ups say they're too old to change. Christ, through Peter, tells us, drink pure spiritual milk, that you'll grow. Put away the junk food. 2 verse 4, as you come to him, well, you have to come to him to do something as you come to him. He wants to use you. He wants to use me. Talks about us being living stones in a, in a building. Acceptable sacrifices. He may chase you and make you do it. But most often, he waits for us to be willing. Going to verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Proclaiming is our purpose. It's why we were chosen. He called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Have you told anybody about that marvelous light? We often proclaim God's excellencies in song to him. But we need to tell others also. Verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. To slightly change an old phrase, saying abstinence makes the heart grow fonder. I think of going on a diet and uh, saying, I'm not going to eat, you name it. We'll go with carbs, everybody's favorite. I went on the South Beach diet once, started having headaches. That was the first hour. I'm reminded of uh, Matthew 12 where Jesus talks about the, demons be, the demon being cast out and uh, the house all, he goes and, and looks for a place to, to stay and uh, doesn't find a good place. He comes back and the house is cleaned and empty and he gets seven of his friends. Um, we have to get rid of the sin 
But we need to replace it with the right things because just like diet, the thing that you are trying so hard to stop doing, sin is like that too in so many cases. You can't fight it by yourself. First John 3 tells us not to practice sin. We need to identify our temptation and we need to run the opposite direction. But we need to replace that craving with a godly craving. So I need to make a correction. Of course, the South Beach diet is not the diet that makes you sick in an hour. That would be the Atkins diet. That, uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Do things that give you a testimony to others. What is a testimony? Evidence or proof provided by the existence or appearance of something. A public recounting. Jesus talked about us being salt, about us being light. It's got to be useful. It's got to do its purpose. People see a lot of what we do. And what we do shows what's inside. Do people see me being angry, cutting corners on a job, impatient, disobedient, disrespectful, hurtful? How do people see you? What is your testimony? I think you have a question on your sheet for that. Verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Be subject to, Paul tells Titus in Chapter 3, verse 1, to remind the believers to be submissive, to be obedient to rulers and authorities, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Peter says, why? For the Lord's sake. Love other Christians. Love the brothers. Paul put it this way in Romans 12.10, outdo one another in showing honor. Not I'm as good as, I got to do better than. 
In Romans 13, 7, he tells us to pay everyone what they are owed. Taxes, revenue, respect, honor. Hebrews 13, 1 says, let brotherly love continue. You ever get tired of caring about what others need or what they want? Two twenty one. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Be like Christ. Act like he did when he was mistreated. He didn't sin. He didn't speak deceitfully. He didn't return reviling. What's reviling? You'll have to say it really loud because I can't hear up here. What's it mean to revile? One definition is criticize in an abusive or angrily insulting manner to attack. He didn't threaten. And he continued... He kept doing it, entrusting himself, committing himself to the one who judges justly. He told us, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. 1 Peter 3, 1. Wives, obey your husbands. Why does Peter say to be subject to, to obey? Because it's your testimony. It's what shows what's inside. Verse 2. When they see your respectful and pure conduct. Paul's referring especially here to the testimony of a believing wife with an unbelieving husband. Purity of conduct is the strongest display of the gospel. If the gospel is good news that changed our life, shouldn't we look changed? Verse 4. Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. Be beautiful on the inside, not just the outside. Our external beauty gets old and fades but a gentle spirit never loses its beauty. And God says it's precious. Peter says do good in verse 6. If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. And do not fear anything that is frightening. So that means wives, kill your own spiders and empty your own mousetraps. Proverbs 3 tells us the one who keeps sound wisdom and discretion will not be afraid of sudden terror because the Lord is their confidence, their firm footing. Wives, are you submitting to Christ's design for your life? K-12. 
Can your husband see Christ in you? Can your kids see Christ in you? Can people around you see Christ in you as a wife? 3-7. Husbands, now it's your turn. Are you loving your bride like Christ loves his bride, the church? Do you find her inner beauty precious like God does? Do you tell her? Do you submit to Christ's design for you to honor her, putting her needs above yours, nourishing and cherishing her? Do you abstain from immorality, controlling your body in holiness? 1 Thessalonians 4. How many of you have been married 10 years or more? You doing better than when you started? You gotten lazy or got bad habits? If I'm not working at getting better as a husband, I think I can fairly say I'm at least stunted in my spiritual growth, maybe stopped completely. Because God has instructed us how to love our wives. Maybe beyond your comfort zone. May not be your love language that she hears. Men, do you pray? When you pray, because I'm going to assume you do, are you just going through the motions or you actually want an answer? Well, then you better honor your wife, loving, loving her as yourself, because otherwise your prayers may be hindered, right? You really, really need to do this. I really, really need to do this. Verse 8. Finally, all of you, all of you who aren't husbands and wives, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Unity of mind. Live in harmony, harmony with each other. Philippians 2 tells us to have the mind of Christ. If we all have the mind of Christ, how much difference can we have? Have sympathy. Have brotherly love. This is a recurring phrase in 1 Peter. It must be important. Jesus' new commandment in John 13 was that we love one another as he has loved us. In fact, this love for each other is the sign, outwardly, that shows that we are Christ's disciples. I'm going to say, if you didn't write somebody's name down, the last time I asked you to about somebody that God's asking you to show love to, Do it now. It's not an option. Loving one another. Tender hearts and humble minds. Now, I've almost got a whole sermon here, but I don't have time. And I told you my slide repairman went to Barakel, so you can add that to your notes. 
2 Kings talks about King Josiah. And just quickly, he became king when he was eight. And in chapter 22, it says when in his 18th year of, of his reign, so he would be 26, um, he encountered God. And we see these two descriptions. Tender heart and a humble mind. And look at what God's response to Josiah was. I think that tender hearts and humble minds are the same thing out of two different places. They both are, it's an attitude and a position of the heart and our mind toward God. It's a softness. It involves penitence. Contrition. One of the bigger words. Brokenness. Verse 9 says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Remember back in 2.23, Jesus didn't revile in return or threaten. On the contrary, bless, for this, to this you were called. I had a little section on bless your heart for our pastor from the south, but had to cut that one out too. You can go back and listen to his version in uh, the message, but uh, there is no sarcasm allowed in blessing. In First Peter, there is in the South, but verse fifteen. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. That's 2.15. Let me get to 3.15. 3.15 says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. MacArthur says, honor Christ's holiness in your heart means set apart in your hearts Christ as Lord. I'm reminded of an illustration um, of a throne in my heart. Is Christ sitting on the throne with me worshiping him or am I sitting on the throne doing as I please and Christ is off to the side or not even in the picture if you don't know Christ is he hiding his face from me because of my willful sin and neglect of him we're told to worship him and be ready to tell others if you can't explain the hope that you have, do you really have hope? 
Now, I didn't write a question about this and because I, I knew I wasn't going to give you long enough to write it, but you got the whole back side of the page. You can write this later. It's uh, a good idea. What's the reason for your hope? How do you verbalize that? 4, 1, and 2. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Be like Christ. We've been told to obey him. We've been told to act like him. We've been told to worship him. And we're, we're told to think like him. We're to think about living for God's will, not ours. Jesus said, I only do the will of my Father. Again, living in light of eternity. We are part of something huge, both in time and geography. Pastor John talked about uh, how short a little while is or how long a little while is from our perspective. What are we doing with our little while? Verse three, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. I said, you've had plenty of time to do bad things. Stop. Stop making more opportunities for yourself. There is no free pass on, well, I got to sow some wild oats. There's no sin some more so that grace may abound. There's no, well, I'm only human. I, you know, I have to do this one thing that I just can't stop doing. You might not want to write this one down on paper that someone else will see, and, or maybe you should. But God already sees you every time you do it. For your relationship with God, for your testimony, even for your health, you really need to stop. And don't just stop by imagining. Verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Be in control of your passions as well as your physical body. The end of all things is at hand. Live in light of eternity. Think about what you are doing. In verse 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Apparently, we need to be reminded again. And for the sake of your prayers, keep loving one another earnestly. Show hospitality to one another, verse 9, without grumbling. 
It isn't enough to show hospitality, to earnestly love, to love the brotherhood, to be sympathetic. We have to do it without grumbling? A pure heart doesn't complain. When we recognize that the gifts we have came from God, we recognize they were given to us to be used for the specific purpose of blessing others. Remember 3.9, we were called to bless. Verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you. Every temptation that is common to man Jesus faced it, and a lot of those things each of us are going to face. Be aware. Put your armor on. They're coming. And verse 13 says, But rejoice, insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Once again, in view of eternity. Christ is returning. Rejoice. Don't be discouraged. I give an example. When your health takes a step backwards, Jesus is still with you. He's still sufficient for your every need. Am I saying to be happy that you aren't feeling well? No. I'm saying be happy that he has not left you alone. He is with you and will be with you to the end. And he suffered and he knows what you're going through. Verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. If you suffer, and I know people who are, don't quit trusting him. And don't quit doing the right things. As Paul told Timothy, I suffer for the sake of the gospel, the good news that God saved us and called us to a holy calling for his own purpose. I am not ashamed. I have no reason to doubt or second guess. And I'm going to change the translation to an older translation, as many of us know. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. What he has planned, what he has purposed, he will, what he has called us to, he will fulfill. From Jude one twenty four. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.